You're listening to a news story on the audio version of The Taiyi. Thanks for listening. The Taiyi is a nonprofit newsroom that is funded by our audience. So, if you appreciate this article and you'd like to help us do more, head on over to support.thetaiyi.ca and become a Taiyi builder. You choose the amount to give, and you can cancel any time. The Narwhal is suing the RCMP. The lead author is Jen St. Dennis. For the full list of contributors, please refer to your screen. February 13, 2023. A nonprofit online news magazine announced today that it is pushing back against a troubling lack of regard for press freedom by Canadian police by filing a lawsuit over the RCMP's 2021 arrest of one of its journalists. In an announcement Monday at the BC Supreme Court, editors for the Narwhal and photojournalist Amber Bracken said they have filed a lawsuit against the RCMP for damages, wrongful arrest, wrongful detention and violation of charter rights. Bracken was taken into custody and held for three days while covering the Coastal GasLink pipeline conflict in November 2021. The Coastal GasLink pipeline which will stretch 670 kilometers from northeast BC to the LNG Canada Export Facility in Kitimat, began construction in 2019 despite opposition from the Wet'suwet'en Nation's traditional leadership. The dispute has led to several high-profile police actions, the first in early January 2019. At the time of her arrest, Bracken had been covering the pipeline conflict on Wet'suwet'en territory for three years, since tensions boiled over after BC Supreme Court issued an injunction to the pipeline company in late 2018, prohibiting anyone from blocking pipeline access roads or work sites. Bracken covered three police actions, which took place in 2019, 2020, and 2021. I felt kidnapped, Bracken recalled at Monday's announcement. I'd never been arrested before and it's the best word I can think of to describe being taken so abruptly from my life and from my work and in violation of my charter rights. In addition to the narwhal, Bracken's photos from that day would be published in The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star and The Winnipeg Free Press. Her work has also appeared in The New York Times, National Geographic and other high-profile news outlets. The Edmonton-based photojournalist is a two-time World Press Photo Award winner. In 2020, she was given the Canadian Association of Journalists Charles Berry Award for her work covering the ongoing dispute on Wet'suwet'en territory. The BC RCMP told the Taiyi via email that the force is aware of the claim but said it would be inappropriate to comment at this time. Senior Media Relations Officer Chris Clark added that Canada's Department of Justice will review the claim and issue a statement of defence through the courts. It was during the most recent standoff, in November 2021, that she was taken into custody along with documentary filmmaker Michael Toledano and about a dozen others on November 19, 2021, while covering arrests at a remote camp near the Morris Forest Service Road. Previous court rulings have found that journalists must be allowed to report from within injunction zones in order to inform the public. That is especially true in the case of Indigenous land disputes, according to a 2019 Supreme Court of Canada decision. At Monday's announcement, lawyer Sean Hearn said Bracken's presence in the tiny house where the arrests took place was not a breach of Coastal GasLink's injunction. Bracken wasn't there to interfere with any of the CGL work on the pipeline, he said. She was there to document events and that intentionality was known to the police.
we believe that the injunction had no application to a journalist in that circumstance. On November 14, 2021, Wetsuwa 10 hereditary chiefs enacted an eviction notice initially issued to the pipeline builder in January 2020, closing the Morris Forest Service Road and blocking access to two work camps in a remote area approximately 70 kilometers southwest of Houston, B.C. The company said that work camps housing about 500 people had been cut off from services and supplies. After the road closed, RCMP responded by sending dozens of officers to the region to remove protesters and open the resource road to traffic. The enforcement began the morning of November 18, with RCMP calling it a rescue mission. We've got 500 people without food, sanitation, and water, Staff Sergeant Aaron Spruill, with RCMP's Division Liaison Team, as the arrests were underway. Our objective is to get the road clear, to get those goods into that camp. About 15 people were arrested that day, including filmmaker Melissa Cox, who was released the same day. In a video of Cox's arrest, she could be heard telling police officers, I'm media. The following day, with supplies flowing into work camps, police moved to arrest about a dozen people who were in two small dwellings at an encampment called Coyote Camp, which wasn't blocking access for traffic or camps. Bracken was also at the site where protesters had barricaded themselves inside a tiny house. At Monday's announcement, she described retreating as far as possible from the doorway in an effort to document the arrests that were about to take place. Helicopters dropped RCMP officers, some of them in green militarized uniforms, around the small building. After about an hour, police broke through the door using an axe and a chainsaw. What happened next was a moment I'll never forget, Bracken said. In that moment, I was both trembling and absolutely rooted in place. I was determined not to let this moment go unreported. Soon, they would put me in handcuffs and take my cameras from me. Bracken was transported to the RCMP detachment in Houston, B.C., before being transferred the same day to Smithers, an hour to the west, where she would spend the night. The following day she was taken four hours in the other direction, to Prince George, where she would spend another two days in custody before being released at a bail hearing on November 22, 2021. The Narwhal's co-founder and executive editor, Carol Linnett, said Monday that the events surrounding Bracken's arrest were seared into her memory. The Narwhal took every reasonable step to ensure the RCMP were made aware of Amber's presence on Wetsuwa 10 territory, Linnett said. Amber took every reasonable step to identify herself as a journalist before, during and after her arrest. Linnett said editors at the non-profit online news magazine had written to the RCMP the day before Bracken's arrest, letting them know she was in the area. Bracken also carried an assignment letter from the publication and had press tags attached to her camera equipment. She had two professional-grade cameras around her neck, Linnett said. Upon arrest, she immediately informed the RCMP officers who had custody of her that she was a member of the media, she said. The arrest and detainment of Amber Bracken should never have happened. But Linnett said RCMP's treatment of Bracken was just one in a string that shows a troubling lack of regard for freedom of the press by Canadian police. She cited incidents like Muskrat Falls, where APTN journalist Justin Brake was arrested in an injunction zone. 
The Supreme Court of Canada would later rule in Brake's favor, saying that applying the injunction order too broadly unnecessarily risks impeding the media function for no good reason with the result that the public would be deprived of access to information of public interest. In September 2020, Indigenous journalist Carl Dockstader was arrested by Ontario police while he was in an injunction zone covering 1492 Land Back Lane, also a dispute over First Nations land rights. A year later, in September 2021, BC Supreme Court Justice Douglas Thompson ruled that RCMP actions at the Ferry Creek Old Grove logging protests on Vancouver Island had infringed on press freedoms causing the logging company to temporarily lose its injunction against the protesters. We would really rather not be here today, the Narwhal's co-founder and editor-in-chief, Emma Gilchrist, said during Monday's announcement. As a small non-profit news organization, the Narwhal certainly did not want to have to bring a lengthy, expensive lawsuit against one of the most powerful organizations in the country. But ultimately, we realized we had no other choice. To not move forward with this case would be to turn our backs on what's right and to turn our backs on all of the important stories that happen in remote places without the watchful eyes of journalists due to the chilling effect of arrests like these. She said the lawsuit aims to establish meaningful consequences when police interfere with the constitutional rights of journalists. We are not filing this lawsuit simply for ourselves but to clear a path for all journalists in Canada to do their work without risk of police interference, Gilchrist said. Ultimately, infringement on press freedom by police impacts the public's right to know. All too often, she added, these incidents happen when journalists are reporting on Indigenous land rights and involve the arrests of Indigenous peoples on their land, something she added concerns every single person in this country and should be a matter of public record not hidden behind police lines. In a statement issued days after Bracken's arrest, RCMP said the photojournalist had later identified herself as media. Our expectation is the media identify themselves as soon as possible and it is our obligation to ensure they have fair and safe access to observe and report, RCMP Assistant Commissioner Eric Stubbs said. When police forced open the door and began to arrest those inside, the individuals then identified themselves as journalists. Stubbs added that the force did not arrest anyone for being a journalist or detain anyone for performing their job. During Bracken's bail hearing on November 22, 2021, Coastal GasLink lawyer Kevin O'Callaghan repeated RCMP statements that Bracken did not immediately identify herself. A month later, when the company announced it would not pursue legal action against Bracken and Toledano, it told CBC it had ongoing concerns with respect to the fairness and approach of their coverage. In a statement issued following the announcement, Canadian Association of Journalists called the news a huge day for press freedoms in Canada. Journalists in Canada are afforded special protections while engaged in the process of gathering news, it said, and practices and protocols should have been in place to ensure that officers enforcing injunctions are briefed prior to being sent out into the field. Canada is a land of laws and rules, CAJ President Brent Jolly said. There are important legal precedents, as well as principles grounded in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that serve as the foundation for a free press in Canada.
Efforts to feign ignorance and to turn a blissfully blind eye to this entire reality is disillusioning and not a justifiable excuse for ever breaching a journalist's constitutional rights. While the journalism advocacy group isn't formally part of the lawsuit, it said it strongly supports Bracken and the Narwhal's efforts to seek justice. Where is the Unistotian blockade and what's it about? The gated checkpoint is on a Forest Service road about 120 kilometers southwest of Smithers in Unistotian territory at the Morris River Bridge. Two natural gas pipelines are to cross the bridge to serve LNG terminals in Kitimat. Unistotian is a house group within the Wet'suwet'en 10 nation. Wet'suwet'en 10 hereditary chiefs claim title to the land, based on their pre-Confederation occupation and the fact that they've never signed a treaty. Their claim has not been proven in court. The gated checkpoint is meant to control access to their traditional territory. A protocol for entry, based on principles of free, prior, and informed consent, is publicly available. While the first checkpoint was built by the UNISTOTN, all the hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en nation have affirmed that their consent is required prior to any development. TransCanada's Coastal GasLink pipeline will carry natural gas from Dawson Creek to Kitimat. It's in the early construction phase. The proposed Pacific Trail pipeline, run by Chevron, proposes to transport natural gas from Summit Lake to Kitimat for conversion to LNG. This pipeline received an environmental assessment certificate, but the investment agreement has yet to be finalized. The Northern Gateway Pipeline run by Enbridge was also planned to go through the region, but was scrapped in 2016. Hasn't the Unistotian camp been around for years now? Why is it suddenly the center of attention? Yes, the checkpoint was established on April 1, 2009. Since then, annual work camps have added a cabin, healing lodge, pit house and a bunkhouse for visitors. The camp is used year-round for healing retreats, culture camps and living. Coastal GasLink applied for an injunction in November 2018 because workers have been unable to cross the checkpoint to start clearing the pipeline route. The BC Supreme Court issued a temporary injunction in December, prohibiting anyone from blocking the bridge. The court also ordered the checkpoint to be dismantled within 72 hours. It's in the news now because not only did Unistotian camp refuse to take down the checkpoint, their neighboring clan, Gidim 10, established a second checkpoint. The injunction was expanded on January 4 to include that checkpoint. Throngs of people are traveling to join the camp in solidarity, and on Monday the RCMP mobilized to enforce the injunction. Rallies are planned in over 30 cities around the world today. Who called in the RCMP to raid the camp? The RCMP's job is to enforce the injunction on behalf of the court, and it's not necessarily raiding the camp. On Monday, tactical teams began to dismantle the Gidim 10 checkpoint. Last evening, RCMP reported 14 arrests of people who refused to comply with the court order. The individuals were taken to Houston, B.C. As of Monday night, the RCMP had breached the Gidim 10 blockade but had not reached the Unistotian blockade or camp. The Unistotian camp beside that blockade, which has been in operation for nearly 10 years, is not part of the order, and since it's not in the way of construction access, can likely remain as is. 
RCMP breaking down Gidim 10 checkpoint and arresting people and supports at the camp hashtag the time is now hashtag Gidimton at the Moose BVL at Unistatin camp pic.twitter.com slash rr0vpzip10. Sawyer Bogdan at Sleebogdan, January 8, 2019. How is the BC government, which supports the LNG export terminal, reacting to the raid? The government has not made an official statement but Stakeen MLA Doug Donaldson, Minister of Forests, Lands, Natural Resource Operations and Rural Development, visited the Gidim 10 checkpoint Sunday. He arrived with a box of food in hand as a show of support and was admitted into the camp after going through the entry protocol with a Gidim 10 member. Premier John Horgan is an enthusiastic supporter of the Kitimat LNG project. He has also vowed to implement the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which includes such principles as free, prior and informed consent for activities on the territories of Indigenous people, the right to not be forcibly removed from traditional land, and the right to maintain connection to the land. Local NDP MLA Doug Donaldson just arrived at the access point. Seen here going through protocol for entry with Molly Wickham. Hashtag Holy Hashtag Wetsawetan Hashtag Jidumpton PIC.twitter.com Slash YF1WJM9LZQ Chantel Bell Richard, at Pike Lou, January 6, 2019 Aren't the Wet'suwet'en among the First Nations who have approved the pipeline? It's complicated. The elected chief and council signed the agreement, but the hereditary chiefs are opposed. The 13 hereditary chiefs argue that the elected chief only has jurisdiction over the band's reserves, and that hereditary chiefs retain jurisdiction over the traditional territory where the checkpoint and camps are located. The band with the elected council who have the reserve is called the Wet'suwet'en First Nation. The hereditary chiefs are leaders of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. The difference has been described like a municipal government versus the federal government. The two governance structures are different and have different jurisdictions. The elected council was established by the federal government when they made reserves. The hereditary chiefs are how the Wet'suwet'en Nation have always governed themselves. Who are the Wet'suwet'en Nation? The Unistotian clan is one of five clans that make up the Wet'suwet'en Nation. The camp is on their territory and the injunction was initially filed against them. But five hereditary chiefs came to the checkpoint Monday to show their support and solidarity for resisting the pipeline. Wet'suwet'en traditional territory spans 22,000 square kilometers in northwest BC west of Smithers. How are First Nations leaders in BC and Canada reacting? Some First Nations leaders support the Coast GasLink pipeline, including a chief from the Skin Tai Band, which is part of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation. Up to 20 First Nations, including the elected council of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation, as noted earlier, have signed agreements with the pipeline. Agreements provide opportunities for work and training on the job. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs released a statement condemning the RCMP's tactics of intimidation, harassment and ongoing threats of forceful intervention and removal of the Wet'suwet'en land defenders from Wet'suwet'en unceded territory. What do the people at the checkpoint facing arrest say? Frida Hewson is one of the people named in the injunction. She works at the Healing Lodge at the Unistotian camp. 
We didn't agree with the injunction because they didn't hear our side, and we have too much to lose. We don't want them to say that we can be in a reservation and stay in my buildings here, but they can destroy the rest of the territory, Hewson said in a Facebook video on Monday. I'm here now because this is my home, this is where I live. This is an unjust system that we live in. My people have been pushed aside, pushed aside for hundreds of years. And it hasn't stopped, it's still happening right now. My people live off these lands. The gate is for our protection. We had racists coming in and shooting rifles, ramming my gate with vehicles, and using explosives to blow up my gate. And the police in Houston know, and they did nothing about it. They said, not enough evidence. And now the state. I blame Justin Trudeau, John Horgan. If you guys are listening to this, you guys are behind this project. You guys are behind approving these police to come in and treat me like a criminal. And all I am doing is living on my lands that my clan has title and rights to. You say reconciliation? This is not reconciliation. You're treating my chiefs and us as criminals. We're not criminals. This is our land. When people say this could be another Gustafson Lake, what do they mean? The Gustafson Lake standoff happened in the summer of 1995 in the Sequepamec, Shuswap, region. A Sundance ceremony, which takes a month to complete, was being held when relations with a rancher who claimed ranging rights over the land turned hostile. The standoff began August 18 and ended September 17. More than 400 RCMP officers, supported by military advisors, blockaded the camp. Landmines were used to block access, police were heavily armed and helicopters and airplanes were used for surveillance. The police operation cost more than $4.5 million. No one died in the standoff, although tens of thousands of shots were fired and two people were wounded. The Sundancers surrendered and 18 people were charged with trespassing. RCMP tactics, including a smear campaign to spread misinformation about the Sundancers, were criticized during the court proceedings. Fifteen people were found guilty, mainly of trespass, and jailed. The fear in this case is that the RCMP will employ similar tactics. Officers have set up an exclusion zone around the area, as they did during Gustafson Lake. The map in this article was updated on January 8, 2019 at 3.15 p.m. to correct the locations of the Gidim 10 checkpoint and the Unistotian camp. This story was updated on January 10, 2019 at 7.45 p.m. to correct and clarify distinctions between the Wet'suwet'en 10 Nation and the Wet'suwet'en 10 First Nation. Read more, Indigenous, Energy, Rights, Plus Justice, Environment. Thanks for stopping by the Taiyi today. Anytime you're in the mood to listen to important stories written well, we'll be here. And if you'd like to keep independent media going strong, head over to the Taiyi.ca and click on the Support Us button to pitch in. Finally, big, big thank you to all of our Taiyi builders who made this story possible.